0: didn't know they were alive now maybe you didn't know they actually travel up the same streams and rivers in which they were hatched when they were little tiny fishes Uh, and they travel as up to as many as eight and nine hundred miles sometimes upstream fighting against the current they can leap as many as 12 feet up waterfalls isn't that amazing Um, There are obstacles, of course. You've seen probably videos of uh, bears having just a feast, fishing for those salmon. I would love to go on a fishing trip. If any of you have ever done that, this is a shameless request. Go ahead and take me with you. That would be really fun. They're big fish, and I love salmon. Uh, But they have many obstacles to face. The falls, fishermen, bears, eagles, just to name a few. And while this is perfectly natural for them, it's something God designed within them to do this, this, these amazing things. It's also a grueling journey, as you might imagine, traveling upstream against the current for hundreds of miles. Well, there's an analogy there for us uh, as humans, it's, it's all too easy to go with the flow of The stream of our culture. And yet, at the same time, in many areas, not all, but in many areas, for Christians, we are called to go against the grain. We are called to swim upstream, uh, if you will, as the salmon do. We, and many times it's very difficult. Uh, It's so much more easy to go along with the flow. And perhaps one of the most difficult areas in which we are called to do this is in our understanding of the church, in our understanding of the church. We, there are many problems facing the church in, in America, and yet maybe one of the biggest, in my view, it's the time for me to get on my hobby horse here, one of the biggest for me uh, that I see is viewing the church in a con- with a consumeristic mindset. We swim in a culture of consumerism. Everything everything that we deal with, we've turned it into kind of a, a consumer uh, orientation. And in many ways, we've applied that to the church. Now, certainly, we do come to church to receive some things. We've got, we've got to choose a church in the first place, right? So you move to an, a, a new area, let's say. Or maybe uh, you young people, children and teenagers... There will be perhaps one day when you're not at Christ Church, Roseville. Maybe you move to a college uh, not in this area. Maybe you, you move to another place, and you have to make a decision about what kind of church to to attend. So how do you choose that? Well, I think uh, the way we often go about this is how uh, people in college go about thinking about who, who they would date. So they make this check, checklist of all these things, all hundred things that this person must qualify with, and they go about checking those things off. And yet, I, w- I think there's a better approach to that. Yes, we do need to find a church that is faithful to preach the gospel, is faithful to preach the word. We need churches that faithfully administer the Lord's Supper and baptism, the sacraments that are faithful in prayer. We need churches where shepherds uh, faithfully shepherd the flock and watch over the church, and yet In all many other ways, we don't need to be so specific. And in fact, I think maybe a better approach would be finding a church that meets all those things and yet doesn't meet our areas of preference in some other ways. So finding a church that is faithful to the Word and then recognizing there are some things you don't like. And maybe that's a good thing for you. Instead, we tend to treat um, church as kind of the white elephant gift. We, we go at, you remember what that is? At Christmas time, you have these white elf, elephant parties. They can be fun and entertaining, but what happens at those white elephant parties, those gifts? You come to the event, and your whole aim is to strategize and to scheme how you can get what's best for you and your family. You even maybe go in with, uh, your siblings and your parents and y'all work together as a team to try to maneuver so that you can fulfill your desires and get that thing that is best. Where the person who brings the really quality gift, he goes home with a $2 meat thermometer or something like that. But, but rather than that, maybe we ought to see the church as, as uh, an ice cream social. So at a previous church, First Baptist, they would have this ice cream social where everybody would make their own unique Ice cream, homemade ice cream. There'd be lemon, there'd be strawberry, there'd be cookies and cream, all homemade, and they would all bring it to the church for the common good. They would bring it all to the church to share what they had, not in order to consume what they could, but to distribute liberally among everyone else. See, this view of the church is contrasted with a consumeristic mentality of the church. It's, an, it's a view of the church as commitment and service to a people. And this view becomes clear when we approach a passage like we have today. In 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul seeks to motivate and encourage and change the perspective of this church in Corinth to make it one of, bringing all the gifts that God has given them so that together they would feast on the greatness and goodness of God. Let's look at our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 31. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. To another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ." Be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? and I will show you a still more excellent way. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us every day and this morning. It is a treasure. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would help us to treasure it as it truly is. Your word to us. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our hearts that we may receive all that you have for us in it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The truth of this passage is that God has given his people a diversity of gifts so that the church will be built up and unified by their use. God has given His people many different gifts so that the church would be strengthened. In other words, our strength comes from the differences that we have as we serve one another in love. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must strive to use our gifts week in and week out as we gather together for the common good, for the good of the church, for building one another up in the faith. Let's walk through this passage to see Paul's flow of thought. And then we'll turn to a few truths and applications about spiritual gifts. So first, look at verses 1 through 3. In this chapter, Paul continues to address different issues that the Corinthians have asked him about. So we see this, how he introduces the different subjects. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things. And we know that the Corinthians... We're getting all sorts of things wrong about what spirituality is. They thought spirituality was expressed in their own individualism, in the expression of their own unique gifts in order to draw attention to themselves. They thought um, spirituality was expressed through their own wisdom or knowledge. But Paul acknowledges that many of their misunderstandings about church and spirituality were due in some part because of their history, because of their background, because who they were. When they were pagans, they were led astray by idols. So it's almost as if Paul feels a sort of apathy, uh, uh, empathy toward them because they just don't know any better, because of their background, because they were led astray by these mute idols, by idolatry. Uh, Just as an aside, this reminds us of the patience we ought to have with Uh, new believers, with those who are new to the faith, maybe who had different backgrounds than we did, weren't as fortunate as we were to have grown up in Christian homes. Maybe they haven't been exposed to the things of God in the Bible. Um, So then we learn from Paul that we are to be clear about the truth, but patient as we teach. So Paul, for the Corinthians, sets to uh, define for them that which is spiritual, And he uses two truths to go about it. First, he says, No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's right to include in this idea not only one's uh, words, not only one's speech, but also his life. Notice what the linchpin is here it's what one does with Jesus Christ. Is Christ glorified by a person's words and actions? then the Holy Spirit is at work. That is what is truly spiritual. The exalting, the lifting up of Christ by one's words and actions. Or is Christ belittled by a person's words and actions? And that person doesn't have the Spirit of God. So the test of whether something is spiritual or not has to do with whether or not one submits himself to the Lordship of Christ. It's not spiritual to simply like Jesus And say you like the things that he said. What is spiritual is to submit to him and to joyfully obey him. As you profess the truth with your words as well. And so it is with the spiritual gifts. They exalt Christ. They lift him up and show his greatness. But notice in verses 4-12 through how Paul helps the Corinthians think about both Variety and unity. There are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ministries. There are a variety of activities. But in all of these, it is the same God who is working in them. His aim is to show that the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, are the source of these gifts, and He is the empowerment for these gifts as well. Did you notice that? They are distributed by God, verse 7, and they are empowered by God. By God, verse 6. They are given these manifestations of the Spirit, Paul says, for the common good. In other words, they are visible expressions of the work of the Spirit, so that the whole church would be benefited and built up. Paul doesn't give an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts and activities, but he does give nine examples here. So, briefly look at those. An utterance of wisdom. An utterance of knowledge, these would be gifts of speech which would build up the church in wisdom and knowledge, speaking according to God's Word and gifts of the Spirit. There's the gift of faith. And while all of us have been gifted with faith, right? we, we recognize even our faith in Jesus is a gift from the Holy Spirit, there seems to be a special gift of faith. So you can perhaps imagine how someone might build up the church By their steadfast and resolute faith in the sovereignty of God in the midst of challenging times in the church. Doesn't that encourage you? When you're facing troubling times and someone is firm in their faith, it builds others up. It lifts them up. Gifts of healing seem to be miraculous gifts which people use to cure sickness and pain in others. There's the working of miracles which gave sign witness to the truth of the gospel. Prophecy was utterance given by inspiration from God. There's the distinguishing of spirits, which would include a special discernment whether something was from God or not. Various kinds of tongues, either refers to known or unknown languages and their interpretation into intelligible speech. But notice Paul doesn't really get bogged down in defining what exactly these gifts are. Part of it is because the Corinthians probably knew what he was referring to. But I I do think another part of it was that defining them wasn't his main point. We could probably just as well come up with a gift uh, inventory of, of what we have been gifted with and apply it here. Paul's aim is to show there are a variety of ways that God is working in and through his people all for the building up of the church. It is the same God who is working these things in us, and there is a unified purpose in them. Notice how many times throughout this passage Paul says that God is the designer. God's put them together in just the right way that he desired. And then look at verses 12 through 26. Paul gives this extended analogy to show what the church is like in its use of spiritual gifts. So your very own body is made up of different parts. And yet, you're one body. You're not multiple bodies. You're not one part. You have many parts. You are one body. And it's similar to Christ and His body. We've all been made a part of His body, having been baptized by the Holy Spirit, We were converted and initiated into the church as God indwelt us with his Holy Spirit. Verse 15 shows us that each part of the body is needed. So if the foot thinks he's unimportant because he's not a hand, that's just ridiculous. Foot is still just as much a part of the body as hand is. Ear is just as much a part of the body as eye is. So each part of the body plays a vital role that none of the others can fully play. On the other hand, no part of the body can say that it is independent of the rest of the body. Do you notice that? Eye needs hand. Head needs feet. No one part of the body can fulfill all the functions it needs in order to be healthy. So hand, we might be jealous of hand because he has several different functions that he can do. He has many abilities. He can touch, he can grasp, he can even punch. But no matter how hard he tries, he cannot walk anywhere unless he practices a lot walking on his hands. You're supposed to laugh at that. That's a, that's a joke. In fact, Paul says, there's such interdependence in the body that each part serves the other, perhaps in modesty or protection. The, the parts of the body care for one another. There's this interdependence. Each part feels for the other. All suffer together. All rejoice together. Isn't this a beautiful picture of what the church is? And it's the case with our bodies. We can recognize that this is, this is true. All suffer together. All rejoice together. Years ago, my sister broke her arm on the trampoline, and I remembering it being such a pain, not just for her arm, but for her whole body, for her whole self. Her arm hurt the worst, of course. But it was also like her whole body was suffering along with her. Even the simplest chore of putting on a shirt caused her all kinds of pain and trouble and problems. When a child has a loose tooth, her whole body groans because of that nagging pain that it causes. It's such a struggle to pull it out. But when she finally pulls it out or someone pulls it out for her, it's not just her mouth that is happy. It's not just her gums that are happy, right? Her, her mouth forms into a smile. Her arms probably raise up into the air, and her feet cause her to lift off the ground in joy because the pain that she once had is gone. Plus, she might get a little money under the pillow at night. So there are many parts of the body, and yet it is one unified body. And Paul applies this in verses 27 to 31. Paul draws together his application for the Corinthian church. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Not all the body parts of the body play the same role, but they are all vital to its overall health and growth. Earnestly desire the higher gift, gifts, Paul says. And I think there he's referring to those which build up the church rather than having an eye towards merely what builds an individual up. And yet the more excellent way, as we'll see next week, is earnestly desiring love for one another so that nothing we do will be in vain. For the rest of our time, I want to draw out a few truths and applications concerning these spiritual gifts and and their use among us. So if you're taking notes, you can write down these three truths about spiritual gifts. So we'll see their source, the source of these gifts and what that means for, for their use. We'll see their purpose, the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And we'll see their diversity as well. The source, purpose, and diversity of the gifts. First, the source of our spiritual gifts is God. This is easy enough to understand, right? This is, this is simple. God is the source of every blessing. We know this to be true in every gift that we have. Isn't all that we have because of God's amazing grace to us? Even if you're an unbeliever, you can understand this. For God created us in all things for His glory. Yet we have lived selfishly for ourselves, for our own pleasures... And the scripture tells us that because of this, we deserve the penalty of death, both physical death and spiritual death, everlasting death in hell. And though each and every one of us deserves that, he has given us mercy. Even, even unbelievers, even those who are rebellious against God and his word, he has given mercy. So every time you put your toes in the sand and feel the warmth of the sun at the beach, you are experiencing a mercy of God. Every time you recline after a delicious meal, you are experiencing the undeserved mercy of God. Every time you feel a comforting hug, every time you're moved to laughter, every time you get to see or experience something beautiful, this is the mercy of God. For each and every one of us deserves only the wrath of God because of our sins. It's important for you to know, if you're an unbeliever, if you're, if you're a Christian, that he won't hold off punishing sinners forever. He won't delay forever. He is delaying for a time. But his mercy is meant to lead you to repentance. To turning away from your sin and embracing Jesus, for the scripture teaches while we were yet sinners, God sent his only son, Jesus, to take that punishment that we deserve. To take the punishment for sinners. God placed upon Jesus the sins of his people when he died on the cross. And he tells us there is forgiveness of sins in none other than Jesus. So turn from your sins. Embrace Jesus Christ. Let God's mercy Melt your heart in repentance and faith. Let those joys that you experience day in and day out awaken you from the spell that sin casts that you might embrace. And I experienced it even this morning as we were singing of God's mercy to us in Christ. It was kind of just clicked in my head as we were singing Man of Sorrows. Like, why would I ever... Want to live for my own selfish pleasures when Jesus has done this for me? When His love has been expressed in such a beautiful and sacrificial way, why would I choose sin when I can choose Christ? See, as we gather week in and week out, God is breaking the spell of sin over us. As this good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed for us, as his body and blood is offered to us, he is breaking the spell of sin over us. So won't you allow this gospel to melt your heart? That you would embrace him by faith and live for him. All that we have is from his grace. Getting back to the point. And it's the same way, in the same way, scripture teaches us that God is the source of of these spiritual gifts as well. He's the the source of all things and He empowers their use. So this means two things for the use of our spiritual gifts. First, it means that we must have humility concerning our spiritual gifts and activities. We have to have a self-forgetfulness about our service, about the use of our gifts because the moment we begin to think that we're something when we're nothing, it promotes rivalry and dissensions and divisions within the church. And yet at the same time, since it is God who has given the gifts, we cannot belittle our value to the church. Do you hear those, those twin truths? First, we recognize that we have humility in the use of our spiritual gifts. But second, we can't belittle our value to the church. So think about this. If you are the origin of your gifts and activities and service, then to belittle your contribution is to do, simply degrade yourself, which is bad enough. But if God is the origin of your gifts, if God is the empowerment of your gifts, then to belittle your contribution is to degrade God himself, the giver and strength of our gifts. In other words, each and every member in our church is here not simply to receive, but also to give. Not simply to receive a ministry, but to minister. Perhaps a good indicator of the health of a church is, is to what extent it recognizes the value in every single member, from richest to poorest, from youngest to oldest, from strongest to weakest. But consider for yourselves, brothers and sisters, what is your tendency in these things? To think highly of yourself in your own service? To to become prideful about what you do in service to others in the church and outside the church? Or to belittle what you have to offer? Remember, God is the source and empowerment for our gifts, and so this implies a responsibility to use what he's given us as good stewards. So take note that God is the source of our gifts, and he's given them for a purpose. So that's the second truth here. The purpose of our gifts is the common good. The purpose of our gifts is the common good. So all things, of course, must be done for the glory of the Lord. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 10. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, live for the glory of God. But it turns out that these, this is not mutually exclusive with working for the common good. Working and serving and using our gifts within the church for the common good gives glory to God. So whenever we come together as a church, we are using some gift. Maybe you have... A gift of encouragement. Maybe you can sing really well. You have a gift of faith or hospitality or discernment. Whatever gift you have, let us use them for the common good, for the building up of the church. And here let me give you two statements which I think will help us in in using our gifts for the common good. First, you should think more about the common good than your own personal fulfillment in the use of your spiritual gifts. So if the first thing in your mind is your own personal fulfillment in using your gifts, you're getting things backwards. Think first about the common good of the church. And related to this, second, you should think more about the common good than your own personal giftedness. There's a slight difference there. In other words, some people put a lot, lot of stock, most stock, in maybe personal gifting inventories. And there can be some value in that. But what's more important in my mind would be something like a, a church needs inventory. Considering, what does the church need? Where is it lacking? What, what do the members of the church, what are their physical and emotional and spiritual needs, and how can I be a ser- of service to them? So think about it like this. Let's say you've been invited by a friend to help him make some repairs at his house. And you think, well, I'm really good at a hammer. I have a hammer. So you head over to his house with a hammer and you are determined to use it no matter what the need is. Wouldn't it be a better idea to actually find out what it is that your friend needs, what the repairs are that are needed at his house, rather than just saying, I'll use my hammer. However, whatever need he has, I'll use my hammer to fix it. In the church, if you only think about your gifts, then you might not think there's anywhere you can serve. If, however, you you take inventory of the needs of the church, then you along with everyone else can come together to see how to meet those needs. So this is the purpose of our gifts, the building up of the body, the good of the church for the health of everyone in the flock. The last truth about spiritual gifts is this. The diversity of our gifts... Necessitates interdependence. The diversity of our gifts necessitate, necessitates interdependence. So, in other words, none of us are equipped to deal with everything all the time. We all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, we all see some things clearly, and we all have blind spots as well. So, the wisdom of God in how He has arranged the body is this. You fill in for my weak spots and I'll fill in for yours. And we all do that for each other. So this is why you don't have a basketball team with all point guards and you don't have a soccer team with all goalkeepers. You need different players with different skills to fill different roles within the church. So this is the beauty of diversity. We tend to think of all the problems that will arise from having diversity in the church. Different people from different backgrounds, different um, different age groupings, and there are a lot of challenges that come with that diversity. And yet, without ignoring potential challenges, perhaps we should be eager to think of all the benefits to having people who are different than us, among us. To being a part of a group which is, Different in a variety of ways. Let's think about the people in, in this room right here and how you're different from someone sitting across the room or how you're different from the person sitting next to you. We've all been gifted and blessed in a variety of different ways. The ways we are different from one another can actually be a great benefit to us. We're united together, not because we're all alike, but because we are one in Christ and what He has done for us. And here's the really good news about all of this. Since God is the one who has given us the gifts, since God has arranged the body just as he has seen fit, God will not leave us insufficiently equipped to meet our needs. So if there's a need, if there's a real need and not just a want, God will equip us to fill that need. God is sovereign over who we are and how he has composed the body. So it only makes sense that God will give us what we need when we need it. Or perhaps he will strengthen our faith so that we can bear up under challenges together, so that we can pull together under different trials and difficulties. But what it will require is humble commitment to the Lord, humble commitment to one another and to using our gifts for the common good. So brothers and sisters, let us excel in this. With the gifts God has given us, let us excel in coming together week in and week out, throughout the week, blessing one another, strengthening one another, building one another up in the faith. Our gifts, our resources, our time, let's pull them all together for the common good because God has given us everything that we need. He has forgiven you in Christ. He has brought you into His family. He has indwelt you by his Holy Spirit, those of you who are in Christ, and he has gifted us for service. So let us excel in this work among one another for the glory of God and for the good of his church. Let's pray together.